Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life talent initiatives. This podcast is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I dig into successes, challenges, and lessons learned from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. wondered what it might be like to lead learning in a company that talks regularly about concepts like growth mindset? Are you curious about what innovative new practices are being adopted by the more massive organizations who've, who've put significant effort and investment into building their learning teams and programs? Then this episode is for you. My guest is Christina Cleveland, who is the Senior Director of Learning and Performance, Strategy and Innovation at Royal Bank, or RBC as it is typically called. In her role, She oversees all the mandated employee training, performance management, learning programs, and what she refers to as learning modalities for tomorrow. Christina is a highly skilled talent leader with experience in both consulting and as a corporate learning professional. She and I met several years ago, and every time we catch up, I'm struck by how much I learn and by how genuine she is. You're in for a treat with this episode. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today I'm joined by Christina Cleveland. Christina is the Senior Director of Learning and Performance in the the Strategy and Innovation section at RBC currently. Christina and I go back a ways. She has many years deep, broad experience in the talent management field. She holds her CTDP designation and is also a certified brain-based coach through the Neuroleadership Institute. She has all kinds of stories to share with us and examples of best practices and lessons learned. So I know this is going to be a really great conversation. Welcome, Christina, to the show. Thanks so much, Lisa. Great to be here. So tell me a little bit about your career journey. How did you end up in in this wonderful complex field that we are in. So, I mean, interestingly, and I think many HR and especially learning and talent professionals find themselves having fallen in to this profession. And that's certainly what happened for me. I was working in a rapidly growing financial service organization, happened to be working in the call center sales and service at the time. Because they were growing so rapidly, they were hiring really rapidly as well. And it was very quick that you would move up this kind of escalator to be more senior in, in terms of the team. And then I helped starting with recruiting and hiring and onboarding uh, new employees, started in formally training them. And then it turned into a formal role, which then moved into the HR and learning team. So I was fortunate that I discovered very early what I enjoyed doing and happened to be going through post-secondary education at the time. And so was completing my, my business degree, went and did my HR certificate, and then actually went back and did a Bachelor of Education as well. So it all kind of dovetailed for you. Yeah, I was I was lucky that I, again, like I just sort of picked up on it early, was working in an environment where the conditions allowed that kind of opportunity to flourish for me. And I seized the moment when it presented itself. Carpe diem. Yeah. Wonderful to hear. So, and when you think about those those early days leading up to now, how did you get mentored along the way? Anybody stand out to you? 
a lot stand out to me, actually. And I think, you know, I, I was somebody who sought out the opportunity to be able to connect with different leaders. I have had some amazing leaders in my career. I've also had some leaders that, you know, perhaps our styles might not necessarily have been a great alignment and match, but you learn a lot from those experiences too. And so in terms of seeking out the the mentoring, I think just being open to feedback, being open to coaching, being open to different perspectives allowed me to integrate some of those approaches. The organization I was with previous to where I am now, I was there for a lengthy period of time, about 13 years, and had the gift of some very deep mentoring relationships in that organization and uh, very strong leadership who had a different background and set of experience and skills than I did. And we respected that about each other and were able to optimize that in each other as well. And that created a, a great environment for me to be able to learn and to perform. So so tell me a little bit about your, your current role in terms of what you're responsible for. What is strategy and innovation within the learning and and learning and performance area. Yeah. So, I mean, we are a broader team across learning and performance and several different areas where we focus. I am part of the strategy team. So our role is to partner with different areas across HR and our talent strategy team to identify where learning is an enabler of performance. So within our mandate right now, we have a performance enablement, which is focused on our performance management practices. We have our product and program management. So that's where we identify, you know, the skills that we're looking to develop, the capabilities that we're building and making sure that we have a a great robust suite of learning options and offerings to be able to serve our employees. And then I also have our compliance team that is focused on our, you know, regulatory mandated learning that needs to be engaging in its own right, given that it's uh, critically important to managing and mitigating risk for us. And then finally, our innovation portfolio is really focused on learning modalities for tomorrow. So I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with some brilliant minds who are very curious, very creative, and constantly seeking out what new trends and emerging opportunities there are in the learning and performance space. And we're well supported by our leadership as well to test and, through, test and learn through those experiences, get user feedback and, you know, see how they might be able to support and enable our broader strategy. So what's an example, I'm so curious, of learning modalities for tomorrow? Right now, we're focused on adaptive microlearning experiences. So kind of combining the brain science aspect with, you know, learning and performance, keeping learning a little bit more bite-sized, digestible chunks that learners can can absorb as they go, sort of in the flow of work, but also it comes with detailed metrics so that you're able to actually assess a learner's capability as well as their confidence in the content as they start moving forward and learning. There's gamification integrated into this. It's very easy to get lost in the, the games that you're playing and set off on challenges with peers, but it's a, it's a fun and certainly a more engaging way to learn that aligns a lot more with the lived experiences that we have outside of work, right? You know, there's so many apps and, you know, capabilities and, you know, ways that we can serve ourselves with information outside of our workplaces. What we're looking at right now is how we bring that experience, consumer level experiences into our organization. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, long gone are the days where, you know, a week long, for instance, leadership program, you know, like there were several companies, kind of boutique companies that would offer these week long experiences, you know, offsite and so on. And that's just not something that's, that seems to be doable or considered realistic anymore. It's also not necessarily the the best way to maximize a learning experience because we learn over time. You know, I, I find it interesting that 
the wisdom has been let's sense, you know, fix these people, train them, right? That sort of used to be the old adage, right? You know, <laughs> the client would sort of prescribe, we need training. And so, okay, let's provide training back in the day. And, and that's been something that I was really advocating for early on, which was, okay, let's talk about what we're actually trying to solve for. And is a course really the answer? Or is it more around performance support on the job? Or is it more around those micro bites of learning and creating an action reflection learning cycle versus here's your binder, here's the course. And now you go back and everything's dropped. You might've had a couple of moments of inspiration, but that's it. Yeah. And those vinyl trophies, those binders. The final. Yeah. But you know what, Lisa, I think sometimes it just depends on what you're trying to achieve, right? Like what is the desired outcome? Because some of those deeper, more immersive experiences are necessary to, you know, really affect measurable change. And depending on what capabilities you're actually looking to build and appreciating the amount of distraction in our environment, sometimes it can be difficult for the brain to be able to focus. So, you know, being able to go deep, if you can truly cut off all of the other distractions, it's, it it will be helpful in being able to actually absorb the information. And again, just kind of have that distraction-free environment. So, you know, there's something to be said about those immersive experiences for sure. But I think, you know, altogether in the flow of work, you've got to have a balance and a blend depending on what your objectives are. Yeah, I, you make a good point. I, I can I can think about, you know, for instance, with my coaching education where it was, you know, a week at once and then it was go out and start doing the work and there were other ways to keep the learning and the reflection going and then come back in for a week and so on. And, and that was very, very powerful, partly because of the relationships that you build with that cohort and the time to really sift and be with the content. For sure. And that you can be present in the moment, right? And I think this large scale pivot that we've made to virtual delivery, which there was virtual enabled classrooms before there will be, you know, long after the pandemic. But what I have noticed is this trend of, okay, well, I'm going to sign up for a program, but I'm going to be maybe half an hour late because I'm going to go participate in this meeting, or I'm going to step out because I have to take this particular call. And like, you can't do that to your brain, right? It's also not fair to the participants that are in the class or group with you. It's not necessarily fair to the facilitator either who has planned an experience based on, you know, expecting active and needing active participation. But I think that that's something the learner needs to drive and really influence and make the commitment to yourself, right? It's sort of like if you've made a commitment to learn, which you need to, then be present for it, absorb it, maximize it, make the most of it, block out the distractions and allow yourself to just really dip in. Yeah, that's certainly an invitation I offer before I facilitate anything, which is be present. How can we get grounded and How can you really check in, make sure that you can eliminate as many distractions as possible? You know, what I think would be interesting for people to to hear about is in a large organization like yours, what are some ways you do try to affect people's attitudes and behaviors around how they treat learning events, learning in general? We have a very spirited organization when it comes to to learning. In fact, it's like built into our leadership model and our core values to adapt quickly and always learn. And so I think that this notion of always learning helps us all kind of connect to not learning, not necessarily being an event or a thing, but rather being something that is, you know, more of a verb and there's action orientation around it and it's always happening. So, you know, if you're going into a meeting, you can learn from the people that are around you. If you're taking on a new project or assignment, you can learn by testing through different approaches 
coaches. So our core leadership is very invested in making sure that we create a safe environment where people can test through things, where we can try new things, where there's safety in those experiences. And that matters, right? So in an organization of our size as well, it creates a great deal of flexibility for people to move between various lines of business, platforms, levels, roles, take on new opportunities, participate in secondments. And because of that, you've got to have this mindset that allows you to be adaptable, allows you to be flexible and just kind of like be a sponge, right? Soak up as much as you can, take those experiences and those insights and then translate them to the next gig that you might be moving towards. And I know I kind of made made this mention of gig and this notion of, you know, the, the gig economy and people having shorter stints in respective roles. And I think, you know, for sure that that plays a role in our organization and many organizations as well. But, you know, you just think about what rich opportunities you get from some of those innovative experiences and just the chance to change your environment, change the context that you're working within. It's like pressing a reset button, right? And a great opportunity to just sort of put into practice things that you you know and can do as strengths, but also humbles you on the things that you've got some opportunity to flex on. So I think that that's, that's part of the excitement that gets created around learning in our organization and something that we really celebrate. Mm-hmm. It sounds very much like it's embedded in the system. You know, there's it's an ecosystem where it's really threaded throughout this concept of you're always learning. Absolutely. I mean, but we will also be the first to admit that there's always room for us to grow, right? And I think that's where that that growth mindset continues to play. User experience design is really important to us as well. So really just getting the pulse on, on our learners, what they want to hear, what they want to learn, and how they want to learn and engage with that material is really important to us too. So we're constantly learning from them and, and vice versa for the programming that we put out into the organization. So how do you engage with your learners about how they want to learn? We have a lot of different modes to be able to engage in their respective input. So there's always on listening that we have available. So, you know, learners can submit ideas, they can submit feedback, they can give us, you know, insights through many of the routines, practices that we have to gather feedback. We ask for feedback as we're embarking on a new product development or if we're creating or curating new resources, we actively seek out feedback from users to get their insights on prototypes, to test and learn through proof of concepts, and then integrate those insights into what we're able to actually practice. So there's a lot of actively seeking out that feedback, but the always on routine really helps because, you know, you're not just deliberately going out in a moment to get feedback, but in the spirit of when somebody's feeling something, thinking something, or has an idea, the always on mode allows us to pull into that where they can just go download and share. And that insight's going to be waiting for us when we're ready to actually start looking at what our plans are for you know an upcoming fiscal year or for a particular initiative where they may actually influence our thinking on how we approach it. So I'm wondering if there's if there's any example that comes to mind for you where that user feedback that was solicited and came in, whatever the, the vehicle was, where it gave you and your team pause and created an opportunity to pivot. Yeah, I, w- I would, I, I know a lot, all examples seem to kind of take us back to the pandemic and, you know, the great pause of 2020, but that was a fascinating time for, for us in, you know, the, the HR and, and talent management space, because there was such a great dependence on us and a need from our employee base for, for support. And we were able to build a rapid response strategy based on feedback and insights we were getting from our learners. So, you know, we could have gone out, you know, 
pushing content and resources that we thought were necessary for them. But instead, we pulled information that allowed us to adapt the modality with which we were delivering insights. So consider as an example, one of the pieces of feedback that we had were asking for was, you know, how they wanted to receive information. And we might have been approaching things, you know, from like a one hour webinar on a particular topic. They wanted quick, quick reference tips, right? Things that they could self-study, checklists that would allow them to go through and consider how to set up my home office environment, how to ensure I create a culture of belonging with my colleagues, even though we might not be working face to face. So all of the insights that they were able to provide us not only shifted the nature of the topics that we were focusing on, but also the modalities that we were optimizing. And because everybody had the same needs at the same time, or at least very similar, allowed us to really kind of like achieve impact on mass because it's very rare that you have an organization of our size that has, you know, exactly the same learning moment at exactly the same time. But there were so many people pivoting that we also got to learn, you know, almost like follow the globe in some ways because because of the nature of the pandemic, there were areas overseas or internationally in you know Asia Pacific within Europe that were moving to remote setup and work environment before we were in North America. So those insights allowed us to influence, again, what we were going to be doing in North America based on the experiences that our employees were having globally. So just think that that, that listening component and again, just tapping into the, the user's needs helped to shape us getting resources that we're actually going to get utilized, not sit on a shelf, get positive feedback and get learners engaging the mm-hmm. content. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting that the great pause, I liked how you called it that. And to see a massive organization experience something, you know, so monumental that everybody's, you know, got to pivot at the same time in some way, shape or form. So curious, what would you say when you think about talent management, HR is supporting the growth and development? of millions of people, ultimately, right? Depending on how big the organization is, you multiply that, you add us all up. What do you think has been the biggest challenge your people needed help with throughout this last year and a half or so? So, I mean, I think adaptability and flexibility still plays a part there, right? I think as humans, we there's a certain degree of certainty that we like to have in our environments, a certain degree of routine that, you know, helps us just sort of take out the guesswork and focus our time and attention on on other things. And that was just completely disrupted. So, you know, looking at the well-being of our employees, focusing on supporting the the mental health, wellness and resilience of our employees was certainly top of mind and a top priority for us. But it was a conversation we were already having in the organization. And and what the pandemic did do for us was take an important conversation and amplified it to being urgent. Later in 2020, you know, the focus around diversity and inclusion also went from an important conversation that we were already having to making it an urgent one that, you know, was really, again, just sort of unified so many in their need at the same time that it created a great opportunity for us to, to focus on having conversations on those topics. So, you know, this year, for sure, the well-being of our employees was top of mind. Inclusion and belonging is a key focus area within our portfolio. Unlocking potential, also still a key focus area, because when you consider needing to navigate your career in a new context and environment, you know, that that was something that deserved time and attention. Change management continues to, to garner attention and everyone 
it seems to resist change management. And yet, you know, you don't need it until you're actually in it. <laughs> and then this, the symptoms that are all around you pinpointed for it, but change continues to be a key focus for us. And then, you know, this notion of, of hybrid working and, you know, as a global organization, we had been working, you know, in a hybrid model. We have employees who have fully remote and virtual, and we have employees who are co-located. But for those who were having to adapt, you know, to their respective environments, they have needed some support. And certainly our people managers have needed support as well, because you've got 87,000 unique needs that you're trying to cater to, right? And 87,000 unique experiences that employees may be having. And as people managers, really, the, they've got to lean into using more of what makes them human connecting with employees, kind of tapping into that need for empathy and compassion. And it's not, it's just something that you teach as much or train people on, but it's something you help facilitate. Yes. Yes. I mean, quite the moment in history. What would you say is the, the best thing to come out of it that we will be able to take with us moving forward when it comes to leadership? I think there's so much that came out of the experience as as difficult and as trying as as it has been in so many ways and you know when you uh, grapple with the sense of of loss you know the impact to employees to their families to our communities there is a point of connection and unity that emerged during the pandemic. And, you know, I can just still remember, you know, the spirit of that moment in time. And as we were responding to those employee needs and, you know, getting that user feedback, the core team that was working on this, you just felt so alive because you had a sense of purpose, right? That you were really in a mode of trying to serve your colleagues and and support them in their time of need. And I, I think that that those those emotional connections and those bonds are you can't reverse you can't turn it off once you turn it on and thank goodness right like i really hope that you know those emotional bonds and those connections that you know people have built and that we've invited ourselves into each other's homes during all of this as well, right? You know, going through the pandemic. And I think that that has allowed us to learn a lot about each other as people. Relationships that we might have had existed deepened. New relationships were forming in a moment of uncertainty and vulnerability. And so I hope that that, that unity and that moment of connection continues. And I think that that's one of the best things that has happened to us, right? It's like put down the device and talk to each mm-hmm. other, right? Yeah, yeah. And I agree. I think it's Particularly early on, you know, I saw teams, entire teams, you know, leaders that I'd be working with one-on-one as a coach or, or when I was facilitating, talk about really trying to keep their finger on the pulse, right? Doing regular check-ins, sometimes daily quick, you know, five-minute huddles in the morning as a way to connect. And I do see now, though, I'm not sure if it's like this where you are, in a lot of organizations, people got a little bit fatigued, right, around this because you have to be so intentional, to ensure that you're reaching out to connect because you're no longer able to just run into somebody in an elevator in the hallway. And so that can kind of wear you down a little bit and then create a sense of isolation. What have you noticed around that, any kind of shift over time? I think you're absolutely right. I think that 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 has been the spirit, right? That we have spent so much time on our devices and technology that come evening time when you're on your devices and technology to engage with people, it it can be exhausting and draining. So I think we know we certainly have experienced that. But I think as a leader, we have a, a role to play in helping our teams remember who they are and remember that 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 point of connection and to hold on to you know those those great practices that we did adopt. Not not to make it onerous. I mean, 
you know, I think certainly being able to balance the commitments that people have between their home and, and lives. But yeah, I think it's, it's again, you, your user experience will contribute to that, right? Listen to what your employees are telling them. If they're feeling like they need a break and it's getting to a point of fatigue, allow for that break to actually happen. But at the same time, don't forget about it, right? Because you do have to be, as you said, intentional in your approach on being able to engage, socialize and connect with each other. And it, it's important, like it's important to being able to just really solidify those relationships, just as it is in your personal life too. So you've got to make sure that you're making those deliberate commitments too. Like it's, we're beings, right? It's it's what we're wired to do. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, anything any practice has a bit of a shelf life, you know, where I think it's incumbent on us to sort of say, okay, there's some fatigue, there's a drop off in, in adoption around particular practice that people are using to, you know, fill a gap as we've done during COVID. And so, okay, so it's falling off. So what does that mean? Right? It's not the end of the world. It does require some attention, right? And sort of thinking through, so what now? you know, asking that question and, and being calm about it, not kind of panicking. What do we need now that we're at this juncture? It's different than it was six months ago or whatever it was. Yeah. Or, or what else? Right. And what? yes. Yeah. And I think that accommodating, you know, different, different modes, you know, you think about, you know, factors of there may be employees who really miss being co-located in an office environment. And there's employees who really love being fully virtual and remote. And, you know, you've got to find a balance of being able to appeal to all of those respective needs, but you, you've got to make, make space for those channels to really get engaged and to make sure people are, are, you're meeting their unique needs. Yes, absolutely. Well, so let's shift our focus a little bit now. It's, 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 it's all connected though. So I'm curious as a senior leader in your organization, you still are in a position to need to build buy-in and to influence the folks above you, the senior leadership team, right? For funding, for resources, for approval of the programs that you know will work, right? So what are your best practices when it comes to building buy-in? This is a tricky one to answer because I, I work with a leadership team that pushes on innovation, you know, creativity, curiosity, and, you know, we're just open to learning new things. But, you know, that said, I mean, there's definitely conversations where you've got to be able to bring to the forefront facts, right? And sort of defer to fact-based decision-making to paint a picture. And so I generally say, like, I don't view myself as owning anything. I am a facilitator of a process. A decision is not necessarily mine. My responsibility is to sort of understand and tap into the needs and vision of our leaders, understand and tap into the needs and vision of our users, and, you know, try and find that balance so that you can, you know, we're in this little squishy middle of trying to paint a picture on, you know, what kind of information we're, we're hearing, what our understanding is of the requirements, and then providing options. And sometimes the options end up you know, leading you naturally to a path because there's a balance of, you know, the feedback that you've gotten from your senior executive leaders and as well as employees. And where it gets tricky is where there's a contrast. And then you've got to bring that data and those insights to, you know, really create a compelling story to help them understand why we may need to shift a little bit and what we had originally intended to do and the risks and implications if we don't do it. But naturally, just not being tied to the outcome, like just being open to process. Like I'm tied to the process, which is like making sure there's a balanced view, but not necessarily tied to the outcome. I think certainly you've got to make a recommendation. I do make a recommendation. I don't, I don't shy away from expressing my point of view or, or opinion, but after the information, the facts and the insights have spoken for themselves. 
Mm, okay. So that's a very important piece of wisdom that you just shared, right? So it's really having the homework to to really make sure everybody's clear on the facts that le- led you to the recommendation, you know, any potential risks, other alternatives to create that openness so that there is choice involved. Is that Totally, like a, a sense of being able to, that they've got influence over that choice, but it's an informed decision, right? And that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, make decisions based on like a gut feeling or what's happening in our tummy, right? That we feel like our instincts are telling us to to go in a different direction. But I will have fallen down as a talent leader if I haven't provided the full kind of gamut of information so that my executive leadership can, in fact, make an informed decision so that they can feel you know, sound and just in, in their respective due diligence and didn't have any gaps or, or you know, misunderstandings in terms of what the requirements may have looked like. So that's, that's what I see my role in, in doing is sort of just helping to facilitate the process. That's the beauty of, you know, having spent some time in, in the consulting world and, you know, really focusing on discovery and being able to like synthesize your understanding and, you know, provide options that allow, you know, us to flex on whether it's budget, FTE, priority, it can really just help to to guide where those decisions go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that would that would be extremely helpful for you in your current situation, right? Having bringing that experience, so you've got the regular corporate and then the consulting where you're where you're working with corporate partners and supporting them. It, you mentioned something earlier, and I'm fascinated by this concept. Comes up a lot in my work when I'm doing talent management thought partner engagements with people. This caught in the middle, this squishy middle that we're in. Can you say a bit more about what you were referring to? Mm -hmm. Where you can really see the needs and interests or perspectives of your senior leaders, and you can see and feel the interests, needs, and perspectives of your users, right? And so you've got this this gap that you need to close. When they're in perfect alignment, the squishy middle is not so squishy, right? When when they are conflicting, it gets a little a little stickier. And I think what you know we need to explore at that point are just you know sort of the risks and benefits of you know one perspective or another. And that's not to you know tear down any insights or devalue any of those insights, but it is about just, again, kind of be like a scientist, right? And you can have a hypothesis about what might actually work. And sometimes you can, you know, then in the squishy middle, take a a perspective on the risks of doing something. So maybe something is going to be, you know, low risk. So you can dip a toe in and decide whether or not it's something that you want to move forward with, or maybe something is going to be higher risk and, you know, require a lot more to implement, but you think the payoff is going to be significant. But but that's where that decision is not really yours to make, right? Your, your role there is to facilitate that decision by bringing forward all of the information. And again, just trying to influence the outcome by sharing those facts, but also just kind of talking through, fast forwarding on the implications of something. So you consider the implementation of it, you consider the parties that are going to be impacted or involved so that, you know, you don't do anything in isolation. It's It's got to be collaborative, you know, especially in the talent space. It's got to be collaborative across the HR and the talent area, but it certainly has to be collaborative across your business because you've got to make sure that whatever you're implementing is going to get the results, but certainly not at an expense or cost to operational f- efficiency or effectiveness. Yeah, it's. I, I'm picturing you being very facilitative throughout the whole thing. I mean, it's you're helping people make the best, most informed decisions, right? Providing them with what they need in order to do that. So they, so, so really a balanced perspective with as much information as you, as you can furnish and not be afraid of it too. I sort of, that's, that was, you know, sort of this banner that went across my mind as I heard you speak, you know, is you can't be afraid. You're never going to 100% 
deliver everything that, you know, your internal customers want or that, you know, the senior leaders want to that are driving towards the key results. There's there's always compromise involved here. Yeah. And, you know, just you saying, like, not be afraid of it, you know, really struck me because I, I think you're right. I think it's it's not be afraid either of not having all the answers right? Like you don't need to have all of the answers. You need to discover the information to help inform what the answer or the decision may be. And uh, I think that, that that can often trigger a threat response too sometimes, right? If you feel like, well, the senior leaders are expecting us to know or they are expecting us to get something done. But their role is to you know help help facilitate that, right? And help facilitate that success. And they've gotten to where they are as well because they have great ideas and insights and, you know, may know things about the future direction or the business strategy that could influence whatever the outcome is of what you're working on. So you've got to have those conversations, not be afraid to paint a picture of the risks or to say this might not work because, and then, you know, have respective insight. But you can't just have one view on that it's going to work or it's not going to work, right? You have to objectively explore both. So you got to stay as neutral as you can. And neutrality is difficult in this line of work because, you know, first and foremost, I'm doing a group coaching program right now with a cohort. It's around, you know, personal support for them and getting very clear on what they want and deserve in their career and, and their life right now. And they're all, what they share is they're all talent leaders. And every one of them is so invested in serving, right? In really supporting that growth, that development, doing their absolute best. So they're innately wired to want to serve. And so when proposing solutions, making recommendations, it's really, really hard. And I relate to this, certainly, to not get really attached to a particular option. And so going back to what you said earlier, not being as as worried about the outcome, just making sure you're I like to think of it as sort of like as a visual, like your elbow to elbow with whoever you're talking to, whether it's the folks you're trying to explore what their needs are or the folks that are going to approve the money or the staff or whatever it is you need, you know, your elbow to elbow with them. How are we going to partner to figure our way through this, right? It's like picking up a bunch of cards, like, okay, so what does this tell us? Yeah, exactly. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, it makes it for a challenging field, certainly. It's also really rewarding, right? Because the possibilities are, are so endless. It's, it's hugely rewarding. I, again, just feel fortunate that early on in my career, I discovered, you know, where I wanted to focus. But, you know, when we, you know, consider as a team that we have the, the great gift of being able to improve the working lives of our employees, to support them in unlocking their potential, expanding their capability, doing things that they never thought that they'd be able to do and love doing it. That's pretty awesome. It is. Well, and that's, it's so funny because you just completely sounded like my writing when I decided to do this podcast, right? I was thinking through like, what is the mission of this podcast? And it's to to really inspire and help talent leaders share best practices that lift them up and help them elevate, you know, their existing influence already to impact the working lives of, of millions, right? It's a way to really multiply that effect outside of their own organization. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, before we wrap, Christine, I have one last question for you sure. that we'll end on. I feel like this is, is going to be a hard one, is it? <laughs> no, not too hard. I, I won't trip you up, I promise. When you think back to young, young Christine at the beginning of your career, what is one piece of advice you would offer her now, knowing what you know now? Good one. I, 
as I said, I was fortunate earlier on in my career that I discovered what I loved doing. And where I, I may have, have gapped in, in that was, you know, not, not necessarily perhaps taking enough risks, right? So I uh, think that there are things that you get lost in what you love doing. It may not necessarily feel like work. And, you know, part of me, you know, wonders whether or not I should have taken a few more risks in my career to, you know, try different things or try new things. And that's part of what facilitated some changes for me in terms of the employers that I worked for because I felt like I was, you know, maybe just stagnating a little bit and, you know, things were becoming very routine for me. That's a sign that you need to disrupt things a little bit, right? And you need to change it up to be able to to learn. And in the organization I'm in now, I've got that flexibility available to me where I actually can take, you know, a few risks. I get into a role, you know, really look for opportunities to make a contribution, but then try something a little bit different. So I think that's probably the one one piece of advice I might give myself, which is to to take a few more risks and not be afraid to do it. Yeah, because, it, you know, we I think you've taken some risks from from what I know of you and what you've shared. It's it's sometimes we hold back on those. Right. We we, we know we probably need to disrupt and shake it up. And yet we stay stuck for a little bit. And it's just it's just a matter of time before we break past that log jam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for for sharing that with us and sharing your thoughts on talent management and how you operate in your current role. It's uh, really, really useful and inspiring for the people listening. So I want to thank you very much for your time today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.